Good morning, my name's Karen and I'm reading from John 18, starting at verse 15. Simon, Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them warming himself. I'll keep reading from verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what was wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Peter, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, You aren't one his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness... They did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat at the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? asked Jesus. Or did the others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis of charge against him. 
but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Tom. It'd be great to uh, keep your Bible open uh, as we work our way through this passage. I'll put up key verses on the screen, uh, but I do think having your Bible open could just be helpful for getting a sense of the whole picture. Uh, If the kids are in and they would like an activity sheet, there is one in the foyer if that's also helpful. But let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, I pray that my words now might be acceptable in your sight and faithful to your word. Help each of us to hear the things we need to hear, that our hearts might turn more faithfully to you. Amen. When it comes to discipline and self-control and perseverance, I think most of us would agree it's easier to start than it is to stay the course. And if you've ever uh, joined a gym uh, or attempted to go on a diet, uh, then you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. So I've joined a gym once. Uh, I learned my lesson once, so at least I'm a fast learner. Uh, But I I went in with all sorts of lofty ambitions. Okay, they showed me around the gym. It was all very shiny. Who doesn't like shiny things? And all the special equipment they had. And then they convinced me of why, you know, signing up for a year would be an absolute bargain. Because if I came five days a week, like, it would be like four bucks fifty. It was going to be awesome, right? I was going to walk out of this thing, you know, pretty buff, right? And, of course, what happens? You you get in there day one. You you limber up. And then you want to try everything and you get a little bit carried away. And so you walk out feeling quite good about yourself, but then next morning almost completely crippled, right, as, you, as you're sort of lying there. And, of course, week one you persevere, week two, week three. Then it gets cold and wintry and you get busy. And, and next thing you know, it's all just getting too hard. And I reckon I paid about 85 bucks a session. <laughs> Uh, so you can kind of, you know, I hope you've got some empathy with me, okay? Don't leave me hanging out here, right? But if we find the, the superficial things in life difficult, then today we're looking at a passage that's all about Jesus staying the course, but for him, it's staying the course that will lead to his death, but ultimately also to our salvation, but before we get into this passage, I want to just take a moment to, take, uh, to talk about the Apostle John's testimony. Because if you're familiar with John's account of Jesus being arrested, then you'll know his account is similar but different to the other Gospels, to Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, some of those differences are simply a matter of description. Uh, So John records that Jesus and the disciples went across to the Kidron Valley. Uh, Luke records that they go to the Mount of Olives, and Matthew records that they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you know sort of Jerusalem, well, let me put a picture up. Uh, So that's standing on the Mount of Olives side. Uh, That is the Kidron Valley. And just at the top of the screen there, you can see uh, the wall of old Jerusalem. And so all of those things are true, depending on how you describe events. Uh, But some of those differences are also in the detail. And so, for example, Luke and Matthew describe how Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. 
but John only records that Judas was present. In the high priest's courtyard, we have Peter standing around the fire. In another account, he is sitting. And in each of the accounts, we have a slightly different description around the detail of who talks to Peter and when and the words that are spoken. And actually, that's what we would expect because in any given situation, when you have two witnesses, they are going to have, you know, see things slightly differently. And certainly from their perspective, certain things will stand out because of what they particularly value. Uh, and the gospel writers aren't writing to record every moment and every word of the event. If they did that, it would take forever. Uh, but they're trying to capture the, the key moments and the key words. Uh, and so what we care about are those details. Uh, and that's where we see the consistency. So Jesus was in the garden. Judas was there to betray Jesus. Uh, Peter was in the courtyard and he will deny Jesus three times. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, let's have a look at John's testimony when it comes to the arrest of Jesus. And uh, our account begins with Jesus going uh, into the Kidron Valley uh, outside of Jerusalem. He goes to the garden and we know that this is something that he did regularly. And we know from the other gospel accounts that he was there for some time. So he, in the other gospel accounts, it talks about how he went and prayed first and then came back to be with his disciples. And then we have the betrayal. So from verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some, some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the soldiers and the officials, they come with a certain sense of trepidation because when they realise that they're actually confronting Jesus, uh, they draw back and fall to the ground. Yeah, here is a guy who has shown incredible influence within Jerusalem. He's a guy who's done powerful things. And so there's this sort of respect and fear. And at the same time, they're there to do a job. Now, they've been tasked with arresting Jesus and hopefully as discreetly as possible. So this is during the period of the Passover festival, so a seven-day festival in Jerusalem. There are literally thousands of extra people in the city and the Romans would really like this to be a peaceful time. So Pilate didn't actually live in Jerusalem. Uh, he is there for the festival uh, to make sure that things run smoothly. And Peter, uh, you know, good on him for, for courage, tries to defend Jesus so he takes a swing at one of the servants and he cuts off his ear, which either means he's an incredibly good shot uh, or incredibly bad because, you know, he could have ended up killing the bloke. Uh, but either which way, he takes off an ear. And for all of, of Peter's courage, he really has missed the point. You know, this is the moment that Jesus has, all, has been working towards. These things must happen. And so this arrest is inevitable, not because Jesus is outnumbered or outmatched, but because this is the cup that is set before him. So Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so Jesus is arrested and he is taken to the residence of the high priest and brought before 
Annas. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, John's account cuts back to Peter and one of the other disciples, probably John, uh, we don't know, but they follow Jesus at a distance and they're given access into the inner courtyard of the house. And at some point, uh, the servant girl uh, who led Peter into the courtyard starts to look at Peter and, you know, thinks, gee, he looks familiar. And so he then, she then asks him the question, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, aren't you? And we know what happens next. He denies that he knows Jesus. And this is a bit of a train wreck sort of, you know, waiting to happen because we know the rest of the story. Uh, We know uh, earlier in the evening, Jesus had predicted that this would happen. So very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And so now Peter has denied Jesus once. But then John redirects our attention uh, back to Jesus. Jesus is before Anas and he's questioned about his disciples and his teaching. And he's not really as compliant as he could be. Uh, So verse 20, I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. So for the people there, this arrest and this questioning isn't really about understanding. It's about establishing plausible grounds uh, to be able to hand Jesus over to Pilate so that Pilate will put him to death. And so when this sort of initial meeting fails, Anna sends Jesus to Caiaphas, who's his son-in-law, he's another high priest, and he's the ranking high priest for the year. And going on this account and the other accounts, it, he must have been somewhere in this house. So this house is probably more like a compound. It was big enough for the Sanhedrin, so the religious council, uh, to all meet together. And so Jesus now comes before Caiaphas. But again, before I sort of you know, get too far ahead in the story, uh, John then pauses and takes us back to Peter. So starting at verse 18, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denies it. You know, John has set up this account as sort of a contrast between Jesus and Judas and Peter. And so we feel the weight of the moment. We see the faithfulness of Jesus who knows his hour has come. He knows that this is the cup set before him and he is absolutely committed to the course. You know, there is still an opportunity for Jesus to save himself, uh, but he chooses not to do it. Uh, In contrast, we have Judas and Peter. Uh, Peter, who declared that he would follow Jesus anywhere, even to the point of death. Uh, But now, only a few hours later, uh, he denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Yeah, it's this awful moment of weakness. 
And it's kind of easy, isn't it, to sit here and be comfortable and critical from a safe distance. Uh, But I hope it does challenge our own sense of clarity and conviction. Yeah, are we ready for that inevitable question, in whatever form it comes, where someone asks, why are you a Christian? Uh, Some will be asking that question from a position of curiosity, uh, particularly if they can see positively how being a Christian impacts your life. And they're curious as to how and why. Uh, But some will ask from a position of ridicule. How could you possibly be so naive as to believe in God? You know, science has all the answers to all the questions. So why waste your time when we all know so much better? And as kind of a a bit of a brief digression from our passage, I hope you've got an answer to that accusation. Would you know what you would say in that type of situation? Uh, You might choose, here's a few ideas, Uh, you might choose to talk about how the order of creation points to a creator. Even the Big Bang requires energy and matter and time and gravity. Uh, If everything exists kind of like a big set of dominoes, then there needs to be something behind it all that sets things in motion. You might want to talk about how God's way works and God's way makes sense of the world. You know, the Bible teaches us about sin and our need for a saviour. And when we look around the world, I think sin is pretty self-evident. Humanity is really good at being bad. And despite all of our efforts and all of our bravado and perhaps even our arrogance, we have not been able to make things better. But God's word teaches us a better way. It teaches us the value of our words, for our yes to be yes and our no to be no. It teaches us the value of family uh, and the role of a father and a mother. It teaches us about duty and responsibility and justice. But also, and I think more uniquely, it teaches us about repentance and forgiveness And it teaches us about this incredible idea, almost unique idea, called grace. Grace that we show others, but even more than that, the grace that we show others when others treat us badly. Uh, That is almost unique to being Christian. You know, so much of the world is about justice. If someone hits you, you hit them back in one form or another. What's the Christian way? Turn the other cheek. Uh, But most significantly, uh, we must talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Ultimately, if you are a Christian, it's because we believed the gospel writers are telling us the truth. We have a vast number of early Bible manuscripts, so we know the message hasn't changed. Uh, We know the disciples were in a position to know what Jesus taught. Uh, They were there, they saw the miracles, they saw the events of the resurrection. And we know the disciples were convinced because most of them actually died for their conviction. And now that's a long way from a definitive answer, but it's a starting point for a conversation. Uh, But we also need to accept that some people don't want a conversation. In fact, completely the opposite. Uh, They see us as a threat to their freedom and happiness and as a danger to society. And so they don't want to ridicule us, they just want us to be silent. 
And if that requires some persecuting, well, that's okay because it's morally good to persecute people who are morally bad. Uh, To our shame as Christians, we have done that in the past to others. Uh, And now the shoe is on the other foot. And so we need to be prepared to give an answer, but we also need to be prepared for whatever reaction comes next. And so we need to have conviction either. We need to get comfortable standing with Christ or we choose to stand with the world and against Christ. And there is no fence. Uh, There's no fence to sit on. There is no fence to hide behind. Uh, In the words of Jesus from the book of Mark, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Yeah, thankfully, uh, we also know from the rest of the gospel accounts that Peter does deny Jesus, uh, but he is also forgiven and restored. And I suspect all of us have moments in our life, perhaps quite a few moments in our life, uh, where we had an opportunity to say something and we chose not to. And thankfully, there is mercy, there is forgiveness. And so the, the, the moral here isn't to give up despairingly. Uh, it's to get up, brush ourselves off, uh, and pray that God's Spirit will give us more strength and more conviction and clarity in what to say next time. But as we come back to our passage, the Apostle John once again turns our attention back to Jesus, uh, who's now before Pilate. So from verse 29, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Which isn't the most compelling argument for why you should crucify someone because we gave him to you. But Pilate then goes on to question Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And it's a question that comes with conflicting expectations because from Pilate's perspective, it's a political question. Are you the true and rightful king of the Israelites? Uh, But for Jesus, he's responding and talking about the kingdom of God. And really, what he says is just what he has said all the way through his ministry. He says to Pilate, you think about kingdoms in terms of land and geography and politics, but Jesus talks about kingdoms in terms of, firstly, about relationships and restoring humanity's relationship and our relationship with the God who created us. And then he talks about kingdoms in terms of his eternal kingdom, uh, which is so different from our finite world. So the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is both present but also future. Uh, But all Pilate really hears is, my kingdom. Uh, You are a king then, says Pilate. Jesus answers, you say, I am a king. Uh, Jesus isn't denying uh, Pilate's conclusion, but it's not exactly an unequivocal answer either. You would have preferred just a straight-up yes. Uh, That would have been convenient for us. And certainly in the other gospel accounts, we do read that. But the problem here is Pilate's understanding is just so disconnected from what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus then goes on to explain again. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
And that truth, again, has been explained all the way through the book of John, but uh, perhaps most clearly and, and neatly in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, at the moment, there's a, a bit of a trend uh, to talk about truth as something that's completely subjective and personal. Uh, so we see lots of inspirational means. Just Google my truth or your truth. They both work. Uh, but, you know, you get examples like this, you know, courageously live your truth. Uh, it's almost been a, a mantra for Oprah Winfrey, apparently. Uh, so I've discovered as I Googled. Uh, but here's another one that I found. I uh, don't know who this bloke is, but it seems to be pretty popular. There is your truth and there is my truth, but as for universal truth, it does not exist. And I suspect on a society le level, we like that type of language uh, because it gives us moral authority for our life choices. You know, we've taken a biblical concept, know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and we just stripped out the truth bit. So truth is no longer found in Christ. In fact, it's not even found in reality. Uh, truth is now found in us. And when we live out that truth, it's now called being authentic. The problem is, as sinful people, our authentic is not necessarily good for us or good for anyone else. And our authentic is naturally very selfish, and our authentic naturally rebels against the God who created us. The truth that set us, sets us free isn't simply any truth. When Jesus says those words, he's talking about himself. He is the one who has come from the Father, who's come to save sinners. And if we listen and we recognise that truth, then we will turn to Jesus and we will follow him as Lord and Saviour. And so Pilate then concludes his investigation with this exasperated, what is truth? And that's kind of an appropriate spot for us to finish. For, for you, is truth something that comes from within? Uh, is life just about your truth? Or is Jesus the truth? Is he the way, the truth and the life? If up to this point you haven't committed to Jesus being the truth, uh, then can I implore you to make that choice? Uh, because there is an offence. You might, you might like Jesus and that, that's wonderful. Uh, but liking someone is not the same as being committed. And so can I encourage you, can I implore you uh, to recognise that Jesus is Lord and to commit, uh, to ask for forgiveness and to live and to be given that new life that he offers. Uh, if you've already made that choice, then can I encourage us to be ready to stand up for that truth, uh, to be ready to give an answer uh, for the hope that we have uh, but also to be ready for whatever comes next. So let me pray that we do that. Dear Lord, as we uh, reflect on your word today, uh, we are thankful for your son uh, who stayed the course, uh, who went to the cross for our sake. But Lord, as we also reflect on Peter, uh, Lord, we pray that by your spirit you might give us the courage and the conviction and the clarity of mind to be able to stand up uh, to not be ashamed, 
uh, to be able to speak the good news of your son uh, to those around us. And Lord, to be prepared for whatever future you place before us. Amen.